Oh, oh another tiring week for me this week, Matthew. I, I spent a week in a in a in a, a podcast commune, and uh, somebody gave me a, a lovely pie, but uh, uh, there was something horrible in the lovely pie, and it was. Uh, well, it was... I mean, why why would you eat pies to begin with when when sandwiches are so readily available? Well, exactly. Um, and I said this to them, and then they 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 popped it between two slices of bread, and we had ourselves a lovely Wigan kebab. I think they call that. That is a Wigan kebab. Yeah, yeah, which is which is sandwich enough for me. Um, but the bad thing inside the pie was a lovely podcast without a five star review. Oh, oh dear. god! I know it was a nightmare. A nightmare on toast uh, or that, on bread. That would be like drinking it down with you know with a, a glass of lemonade and something manky in that and and that <laughs> manky thing is being a listener that that's not part of the facebook group yes yes and then that face that but if they'd realized they could have joined the facebook group and had a lovely trip um yeah. i love it and while the tripping have some lovely discussions about wonderful horror films and uh sharing their thoughts on the films that we're going to speak about, which if you haven't guessed already is Midsummer. Yes, it's, it's Midsummer, and uh, yeah, yeah, you um, get a shout out later on in the pod. Yes, yeah, sure. uh, let's get on with it then. Let's just get on with it. I think we've rambled long enough. Let's do it. Yeah. Ooh. Hello and welcome to Creative Psychopaths, a horror movie podcast and the world's premier kitchen for horror sandwiches. Now, what are horror hat sandwiches, I hear you say? Well, it's a delightful movie filling surrounded by two slices of bready, chatty goodness. And as we've discussed before, it's the best kind of bread because you're not actually eating it. Although, no, I quite like eating bread. Uh, anyway, my name's Mark and with, with me as always is Matthew. Hello, happy solstice. Happy solstice. Oh, the longest day of the year. And uh, it's, it's well, to give it away, recording day, it's, uh, hang on a second. I'd presumably, is solstice the actual Thursday? I think it's Wednesday. I think it was yesterday, uh, if you're listening to this, on the, the day of release. On the day of release, right. And we're recording on Father's Day, uh, which feels like it's been a long day. Um. Because I don't know why. Of course, really. listening to this, it, it, it won't feel like a long day at all. It'll fly by because you're having so much enjoyment. Well, no, you'll be having a lovely Thursday. You enjoyed yesterday's long day. Today will be a slightly long day, but not as long as yesterday. But you get an hour to an hour and 10 minutes or maybe more listening to our lovely voices chattering away, talking about horror movies, no less, horror related things. We're horror-adjacent things. I don't know. Some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. More sandwiches than horror in the opening. Yeah, there's a lot of... Five minutes or so, isn't it? But There's a lot of sandwich stuff. Eventually going to get to horror. Yeah. 
Well, normally there's a bit of preamble. And um, the only preamble I can really come up with is leading into our first slice of bread, but uh, might as well just do that anyway. So yeah, let's dive right in. For those for those of you who listen to the podcast, you'll know that the my New Year's resolutions was to watch 100 movies I had never seen before, and um, smash that. Or um, I think maybe March or before, and uh, now we've hit the 200 mark. Um, so that's 200 movies I've never seen before. If I was adding movies to my letterbox that I've watched uh, repeat times, I think I'd be on about 240 or something. But I'm not doing that for some reason. There are some impressive numbers there. Uh, I, it, it makes me wonder whether I've got, I, I, I'm doing the right things with my life. Maybe, maybe I could achieve something more like... Um, substantial with my life if I've got so much time on my hands, but I feel like I don't have so much time on my hands, so I don't really know I'm frankly amazed that you get to watch anything because, I mean, between having a full-time job, you know, being a husband and father and and also having this wonderful podcast, like, I I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know. I have a job and the podcast. Uh, so I'm completely free of kids and I still can't find time to watch films most of the time. Uh, yeah. I think I'm on about 60 odd for the year. I think you adult more than I do. Um, I don't adult that much. Um, and and I do have, uh, I don't work in nine to five jobs. So I have quite often have time at home by myself. So that works out. So um, still don't take it for granted because some of us would like to be in your shoes. No, no. Uh, you know what? It's a lovely thing, I've, and I'm really, I've really enjoyed um, watching so many films this year. Um, but unfortunately, some of them have been not very good. And uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the top. Well, I've, I've only done a top three of uh, bad films. There are more than this, but um, I don't want to uh, drag it out, as it were. Um, so, so our first slice of bread then is going to be your, your three worst. And my then three worst. Have you also got three best for the, the other slice? I have got my three best for the other slice. I will say for my other slice, potentially they're not the, the best, best movies that I've watched, but they are the best of the horror. Um, so, yeah, so just for, for a little bit of, <laughs> of extra sizzle, We've got say with the three worst and three best that you've given us today. They're they're exclusively horror films, aren't they? They are exclusively, uh, and we're going to talk about some of the the non horror films on the Patreon because mm-hmm. you know we're, we're we're using over there just to to spread our wings a little bit. We're talking about not as horror movie stuff. We're doing some TV, uh, you know, non horror movies, and, and we're going to going to talk about a few other bits and pieces over there so yeah if you uh if you want to hear that you know just come and uh chuck us a book as they say and yeah you'll get to hear it yeah like i say give us cash um give us cash give us in exchange for uh i don't know is it goods or services i don't think it's either really is it some services rendered somewhere in between <laughs> yeah, so uh yeah, if you if you come over to the Patreon at some point I'll be recording um well, 
the best of those 200 and then towards the end of the year, whatever the big number is, I'll do a real big countdown. Um, so, yeah, that was a nice little plug there for Patreon. Well done, you. Thank you. <laughs> I felt like so, I had to pull my weight somehow, given that you were doing the, all of the slices of bread this week. Yeah, but I'm sure you'll be able to. Uh, some of these you've seen anyway, so you'll be fine, especially in the worst. Um, oh, let's do it. Oh, oh, I love the worst. Then. Let's go. Well, right. I've got to. I'm saying this one, but not necessarily because it's the worst, but because it made me the angriest. Um, Ooh, okay. Uh, and that was the uh, Universal Monsters Dracula. <laughs> just, I just fucking hated. Um, I, I understand it's an old film, right? And I know I've already done these excuses. I understand it's an old film, and it follows a certain rules, but it's just not good. Um, and it's sort of. It just tails off very much towards the end, and then you don't really see him get killed. They just hammer a thing into a nothing, and I was just like, you know, with Universal Monsters, they have this. Well, it's like a, especially within the horror community, it's like a big. Um, I want to say star, but that don't feel right. But you know what I mean? A reputation. There you go, and then yeah. to sort of go into it. And I've watched a few of them, and most of them are good. To watch this one and go, that was just awful. Um, so while it didn't, it there are other films on my list that got lower star count than this. It's on my list because it pissed me off. Um, so yeah, it's my list. I'll do what I want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there, there is something to be said when we ask people what the, their worst horror film is. I know when when I was answering it once upon a time, it was it it felt cruel to me to pick some of those real trash, sort of straight to Netflix, no budget, less time to make films, and you know you don't want to give those films a kicking because you feel that while they are god awful. It's not the fault of the filmmakers generally. No, you know? and the the films that never had a hope of being good to begin with, uh, and the the films that that are to me the worst are the ones that that don't live up to the potential of a good premise or yeah, you know have hugely talented people that aren't constrained, you know, too much and and they just drop the ball and, and don't follow through. Uh, and then there's a whole other category of films that are just, you know, downright offensive, but we don't tend to mention <laughs> them. Uh, so, you know, I completely understand where you're coming from with this one. Truth be told, I've not actually seen the, the, the original Dracula, so I'm still... Yeah. I do need to, just to see if... Uh, if you are correct, and it, it doesn't deserve its status as a classic, but it it probably it probably does. But uh, and as I say, there are films on this list that I gave much lower star reviews to, and the next one is actually one of one of those, and it was called Follow Me, and um, it's sort of an escape room style film. Um, so the sort of premise is that these people go to an escape room and then um, it all gets a bit too real 
Um, but, it's, but it's not the movie Escape Room. The problem with it is it was so see-through. Like, you knew exactly what was happening the whole time. Um, you know, it, it, it gives itself this plot where it's trying to misdirect. Um, but it's so, you know, you just sat there the whole time going, yeah, I know how this is going to turn out. I, I, I could predict the ending of this film right now. And, uh, I was right. I was, I, I saw everything coming. Um, and on top of that, you know, people were in traps and the traps weren't interesting. Um, and it was just, just shit, you know, like, to me, that's the worst because it obviously, like you said, it this obviously had a budget, you know, that put something, put some time into it. Um, but overall, it was just, I don't like to say lazy, but lay, it was a lazy script and a lazy plot, you know, because it was just, oh, yeah, I know what's going on here. And it, it never at one point made me feel anything other than bored or annoyed. I got a bit annoyed. Um, so, yeah, that was probably, you know, despite that actually that being at my number two, that was probably the worst horror film I've seen this year. So that's, um, that's that's damning anyway, just given what you've, uh, what you've yeah. said about it. Because we watched some bad films, but for example, Hell, Hellraiser Hellworld at least made me laugh. And, you know, sometimes they come back again at least. I could see that there was there was some plot worth saving in it somewhere down the line, but with that it was just this is shit. Yeah, I mean, there's there is the to use that phrase a so bad it's good. Yeah, M- movie there, isn't there? You know, I absolutely love the movie Cats. Did you? Like, I, I just incredible. I mean, the film is. Everything that everyone has said about the film Cats is true. It's just absolute garbage. But it's garbage in just this most magical of ways that I love the I love it so much. I think it's that there has to be an earnestness with the filmmaking process. You know, the same thing that it's got that same magic that the room has, in that everyone involved in it is thinks they're making a masterpiece. <laughs> you know, and like I remember in the build up to it, you know, Rebel Wilson coming out being like, Oh yeah, Jennifer Hudson's gonna win an Oscar for this. You know, she's like, No, she's not. She's a fucking humanoid cat in some suicide cult. Like <laughs> and, and everything that I thought about the stage show cats just came to fruition in this movie. And I still can't reconcile in my head how this show is still so popular and and has this following, whereas the movie's vilified, where I'm looking at them being like, they're the same thing. And yeah, I'm gonna I love have to Cats. watch it. it. It needs to have this revision and, and become this fun midnight movie kind of thing, because it it's all the ingredients are there for it. It should be done. It's perfect for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and yeah, we love movies leads, like that. That leads me into the last one, really, because this is a movie we've both seen that we both hoped was going to be so bad it was good. Um, and I don't think we're going to have to talk too much about it, but it was uh, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, um, which... Yeah, we, it's we top spoke of my, a bit 
we we have spoken a bit about it, and it was top of my list mostly because I was very disappointed by it. Like you and I both knew it was going to be bad. <laughs> we didn't expect a good film, um, but we were at least expecting it to be fun, and it's it's not even fun. Um, yeah, I was expecting it to be Winnie the Pooh based at least. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I have sort of thought recently that they obviously what we associate as being Winnie the Pooh is Disney's Winnie the Pooh. You know, that's how you, but they can only do based off the sort of character from the book. And I don't think it's exactly the same. So, you know, I can, I can sort of see what happened, but it should have had, it just didn't have, it didn't have anything, did it? It was, it was just, wasn't fun. It was just, it was just no one only... kill after another with a plot that just dribbled along, really. Yeah, there, there was nothing in it to say that it was Winnie the Pooh, was there? was no, no <laughs> plotting, no character beats, nothing that no. suggested. You could have made the exact same film just with you know, with any anyone else. You know, it didn't even have to be a, a previous character. You could have just picked a random serial killer and <laughs> yeah, it would have been it would have been exactly the same. Exactly the same film, yeah. So um Number one on my list, mate, because of disappointment and because, well, not because it was shit, it was bad. It was a bad film. Um, I suggested that to the boys at One Good Thing, so they're going to have to watch that and see if they can find one good thing about it. Oh, well, said- that's quite easy. I thought that the uh, the animated introduction to it was actually oh yes, a yeah. standout to it. <laughs> Very good, yeah. Well, no- they normally try and find more than one good thing, so we'll have to see what they do. Well, yeah, um, they'll, they'll, they'll struggle for that. Yeah, I've already done half your job for you guys, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they don't listen to this. Um, anyway, so that was the first slice of bread. We're keeping the slices, I said, a, probably a bit thin this week because tortillas. I reckon the I reckon the movie this week is going to um, probably be probably quite a filling, 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 filling. It's like a burrito we're making, really. Yeah. Lots of that's filling. It. I think that's going to be a good way to describe it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you're going to lead us into this. So um, into the filling, yes. my friend. So as as we all know by now, we are talking about 2019's Midsummer. Uh, do we still call it Midsummer, or do we say Midsummer because we sound less stupid that way? It's up to you. I'm going for Midsummer, I think. Okay. I'll see how I feel. It may change as we go. Uh, so yeah, this is written, directed by Ari Aster, and it has a cast. We have Florence Pugh as Danny, Jack Rayner as Christian, uh, Wilhelm Blomgren as Pella, William Jackson Harper as Josh, and Will Poulter as Mark. Uh, they're our main cast, obviously. We have a, an ensemble as well. And on a budget of $9 million, it... Returned what I thought was actually really small for for a film. This was forty eight million. Um, I mm. thought it would have raked in loads more than that. So I'm a bit surprised, but it's certainly not a uh, like we say. Budgets don't really sorry. Box office don't really mean anything. It's just a a number of attached to how many people saw it, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I think so. I have an opinion on why it didn't make so much money, and I think. 
I don't know. It, I think it's because partly it, it was it was it was a trailer that that didn't really tell you anything. Um, it was very difficult to get excited about about it. Yeah, it was also released at the height of the the summer blockbuster, isn't it? So well, exactly. Your, your smaller, weirder genre films don't tend. Who to, is this uh, woman with flowers on her head? Yeah, they don't they don't tend to get huge success based off that. Uh, so yeah, so the film. It is, uh, well, it's a doozy, isn't it? So it follows uh, Danny, who is our, our protagonist, and uh, she, following a seriously, seriously traumatic event in her family, uh, follows her well, boyfriend, but it's a very toxic relationship. Uh, she follows her boyfriend, Christian, and his friends uh, to a Swedish commune. Uh, where they are getting ready to celebrate their Midsummer Festival. And from there, we find that the cult are a little more than they seem. And also so things break down further with Christian and Danny's relationship. And yeah, things happen that I think we'll we'll get to before <laughs> too long. But so yeah, if you've listened to the podcast before, we, we're straight into spoilers I would suggest if you haven't seen the film, give it a watch and then come back to, to listen to the rest of it because I think we'll agreed. You'll, you'll probably enjoy it better that way. Agreed. So, yeah, we've given the uh, the bit of a rundown then, Mark. So I'm going to let you you start with your first thoughts. Well, I want to start with the start. I think I think that's important because so when you say the start, do you mean the title card thing or do you mean the, the uh, first uh, well i've got but i've actually written both things down but um i'm gonna go with the first scenes at least um with should we should we put a content warning in for this we probably should shouldn't we because it's we, we we should do so we're about to talk about um elements of suicide and um well that's it really <laughs> oh murder yeah i'm Oh, man, just uh, to be expected. I don't know. Yeah, the, the technical term, patricide and matricide as well, which is just just awful. So, well, it's uh, a horror movie podcast. Everyone gets killed. Um, but no, seriously, we you know it, it does it does hit in those elements. So if that's something that you don't want to hear, then um, move on. Give us five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you get kicked in the you get kicked in the balls, really. Um, we're introduced to the main character and we know her sister is having problems and she can't get back to her. Um, you know, we delve a little bit into the relationship, but I think the main bit I wanted to talk about was obviously, um, the way that it's done that we, that we see her leave a, a message at her parents and it seems like they're sleeping. And then we get that sort of alternative view of it where, well, the sister's, pumped i don't know she, she attached hoses to the pipes of the cars and pumped that into the parents room and taped one of the hoses to her face which is awful to see really awful it's it's a uh, i don't even know how to shocking and um you know what upsetting is the word really uh, genuinely, yeah, somehow 
somehow the tape makes it so much worse, doesn't it? It does. It does. The the, the tape is is it is very upsetting, and you you get reminders of it throughout the film, um, and it just it sort of it preps you as well. I think for a for a, for a different film, it preps you for a film you're not going to get, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, and then, um, the other thing that I thought was, uh, interesting was when we get the opening credits, um, it says Midsummer and they're very small, but it's in the snow, which I thought was very, uh, um, yeah. So, I mean, this, I think my problem that I have with this film, uh, certainly in our discussion of it is that. You know, normally when when I do the, these podcasts, you know, I, I watch the film. I jot myself down at like your know, a list of points as I go through of things that I want to touch on, what I want to say. And this film is it, so rich, so dense that I, I just I don't have that. I have just this enormous Venn diagram of things that I could say and, and what I would like to say and. And I just don't think that it's going to leave for any sort of structure because it's so, so chaotic. Uh, but what what I would say about this opening is it, it's something that we're, we're probably going to circle back to, unfortunately, because of you know the content and that. But it, it sets in motion basically every every reading of this film that you can possibly have. And there are many. Mm-hmm. It, it kicks all of these off, and I'm, it's an opening scene. Of course, that's what it's supposed to do. But you know, not that's not always the case, is it? Sometimes we, you know, a film starts and it moves us into different directions. And this one, it's it's a sledgehammer, isn't it? It really just it doesn't just knock the door down. It it you know, it knocks the door down and screams in your face. Uh, but <laughs> it, yeah, it has this this build that it gives us with the grief aspect of it that that, that runs throughout it, that uh, the family aspect that runs throughout it, uh, the seasonal aspect, like you just said, that mm-hmm. runs throughout it. You know, everything that that comes up and develops, including a theory that I'm going to speak about in a bit. Uh, okay. Everything starts with this, and you know it, it's so much extra of its horror is that it's so unavoidable. You know, there's no way that you can have this story without having this scene, and it's it's so. I mean, it, it's awful anyway, but it's so much worse being that it's so unavoidable. Mm. Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, I mean, just I, really, really awful. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it it is terrible, but it does. Um, I think what it does do is it gives you a much. It gives you um. It gives you a link to the main character Danny straight away. You get you can be you 
you sort of with her from the start. And, you know, God bless Florence Pugh. And I'd say Ari Aster must be part of this because the way that she so shows grief is so real. Um, you know, as Tony Collette managed to do in um hereditary, so very realistic and visceral and like um you know, you you feel for us straight away. And um, you know, on top of that, she's seeking comfort in the arms of somebody who she knows she shouldn't be with and he knows he doesn't want to be there. And um, it's all very um, complicated in terms of, you know, relationships and stuff. But it's all set up. Must be what in the first fifteen minutes or so. I don't really know. Yeah, um, and and on top of that, just with the the relationship between them as well, you know, it shows us at the beginning that their the parents are asleep but breathing, and you know she she's calling. Christian, he's oh, you know, it's your sister. She's a drama queen. She, you know, she's you, you, you enable her, you know, by going to panic stations. I think he calls it, and you know that shows us that if she'd have stopped wasting her time with this guy, and if she rang the police and said, "I'm worried about them," her parents might still be alive. Right. Yeah. And it, it puts that resentment not just between the characters but for us and you know and the character as well you know we at, at this moment of you know just real horror there is a, a sympathetic ear and someone who cared could have saved the day you know could have prevented the whole thing right yeah I mean, it's that, that thing, isn't it? You know, check in on your friends. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, if we, if we yeah. take these little signs seriously, and and we're we're you know invested in them, we can prevent these things. Yeah, I, I, I find myself. I said to you, I had a controversial opinion of this. I find myself at moments early doors, um, not necessarily feeling bad for Christian because he's a dick, um. But I feel bad that he's obviously he's stuck in a relationship that he himself is not mature enough to be in, um, you know. But he's not a, a dick enough to break a heart. If it, I, I mean, I suppose. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, you we're know, led to believe you know that what I mean? he's ready to to break up with her at the beginning of the film, don't? Yeah, uh, but he's but also he... got. He's he's got friends who show this sort of typical, I'd say, male relationship, or at least, you know, it that isn't it's it's not the closest that he needs. He can't say what he really is feeling because you know, one of his friends is only bothered about school, the other one's a douche. And, you know, I, I always get the feeling is it Pele? Pele? That yeah. he that he's not really their friend. He's well, he's just there for himself, really. Um, okay, we'll we'll put a pin in Pella for a bit because we'll come back to that again. So, I, I found myself this time around feeling um, a lot more for Christian. I mean, as I say, he is a dick, and um, 
but I don't necessarily feel like uh, he deserves so much hate because I know he gets seems to get a lot. Um, no, I mean Christian is is a well drawn character, isn't it? You know, he, yeah, he feels absolutely. real because that's you know that's the sort of thing you know he's he's, he's very clearly gearing up to break up with her at the beginning of the film, right? And then doesn't because of circumstances that you know what happens and you know i think that his problems throughout the film is that he's so he's so weak and passive isn't he right you know he like we say you know he doesn't take mature but tough decisions at the start of the film uh, uh he's uh, abandons his friends throughout the film, you know, just as uh, Josh steals the book later in the film, or, or you know, they think he steals the book, but he gets killed, doesn't he? Uh, he sells him out immediately. He's like, oh, no, we don't associate with him. We don't like his actions. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and before that, he was just like, oh, I should jump on the back of your work as well, Josh. And we can, you know, so he's not, he's selling out his own academia as well. And, and he's, you know, he's so passive in life. I mean, he gets his, his just desserts at the end, doesn't he? He's rendered completely paralyzed, stitch up into a bear and set on fire. You know, he's he's literally paralyzed by the end of the film, despite, you know, his character being, uh, you know, figuratively paralyzed, you know, throughout it. And, you know, he... he it's strange that being so passive is something that's punished so strongly in a horror film, but it feels very modern for it to be mm. done so, doesn't it? Because it's yeah, yeah. You know, when when put in the the context of these relationships and, and this relationship specifically, like it, it's kind of unforgivable what he's done to this this woman. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, as I said, he was he's an awful person, but I think. Um... What you just said is bang on. He's such a well-rounded character. Um, not all of them are, I don't think, or at least not all of the friend group are. But he, 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 he very much. You can you get exactly what sort of person he is. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, have you got anything you want me to say? Or shall I just keep barreling forward and you? Uh... <laughs> I'm going to talk uh, a little bit just about uh, something that uh, I've seen brought up a couple of times, actually, but it's a very nice little touch. I'm just going to talk about uh, a a technical aspect of the filmmaking, which is the costuming in it. Right. Just to to divert us a little bit and and give us uh, something else to talk about. So there there are two things, really, that I wanted to to mention in, in that it is about how Danny becomes at home in the cult. So, I mean, if you see throughout the film, her outfits are always really, like, ill-fitting. Usually, you're really baggy, aren't they, on her? And it's not until she wears the local dresses that she gets anything that's fitting. Mm. So that's, you know, very good costume work there, the the uh, costume designer deserves a, a raise for that for sure. And then, you know, while that's going on at the same time, there is the, you know, the cult themselves. 
So I think when, when we first arrived, that they're dressed like majority white. You know, they have a little bit of trim and you know, so little dashes of colour here and there, but it's it's mostly entirely white garb. And then throughout the film, they get progressively more colourful. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, both of these things just, you know, very nice in terms of subtle ways into the welcoming us into this this cult that we are while Danny's being absorbed into it, we are getting sucked into it as well. And you know, they're just they're just, you know, very just nice ways of doing it. I just think they're, they're subtle but just very, very effective. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, it's um, it's me. Do you know? I don't think I've. I think with my second time watching this, I haven't necessarily picked up on, on everything, and I'm not sure if I really noticed. Well, I noticed it when you said it, but um, yeah, um, I'm gonna have to watch this again. <laughs> the thing, the, there's the thing about this movie that I'd say that. From one hand, you on one hand you can say it takes you by the hand and leads you through the story, and there's not a lot to miss. Um, you know, to the point where it shows you what's going to happen in the story before it happens. You know, there are moments and it goes where it just goes, "This is what's going to happen." By the way, um, and then when you watch it a second time, and it's like there's a there's a bit more to it, um, and I think it's just say it's just. Yeah, it it's got levels on its levels, um, which is kind of frustrating. But yeah, uh, I mean that that foreshadowing and stuff that you talked about—it's like quite. It, it's it's strange in that it's heavy-handed, like you say. You know, with where they just be like, "Hey, we're just going to show you exactly what we're doing," <laughs> but at the same time, even when. It's not doing that. And they put, you know, the foreshadowing of, of events within the film. Like it's they do this strange thing where they're like environmental. So uh there is the scene where Danny's in her bedroom and on the wall she's got the painting of the bear and the, the girl with the crown. Uh you know, that, that's early on and comes out later in the film. Uh, they go to, a, I believe it's Mark's house, uh, Will Poulter's house, mm-hmm. and they show uh, the scarecrow. It's just like uh, the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz is on the wall, and he gets sewn up into a scarecrow at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. It's like it does these, like, it, it's kind of, it kind of adds nothing because you, you don't really notice that they're there until someone points them out to you or or you've you've seen it a couple of times. Uh, But it's just this, it it gives you this richness to the the world and and you can see the care that's being put into it that just gives it the, it gives it an elevation, I think, to people that already like it. You know, once you've, if you've seen it and enjoyed it and you, you dig a bit deeper and you pick these things out, you know, I think it's, I think it's why I assumed it was a uh, more successful than it was 
because I think the people that love it really love it, and there's so much stuff out there about it that we, you know, I, I assumed it had a much bigger following than it did, but yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I think it's care of this, Sean. I think it's definitely post um, post cinema. It's definitely had more stuff. Um, but um, since we're talking about the technical aspects of it, um, I want to do something that we never do, which is mention the director of photography. Now, I have got him up here because I can't say the name, and I think you might be able to. Can you see that? Oh, yes. Uh, so it's Pavel Pogorzelski. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, so... Um, because the photog the, the 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 camera work in this is amazing, uh, especially, and I presume this is him that does this, and the director of the some of the transitions are just, um, you know, like amazing. Especially there's one point where she goes to the bathroom and then she's in the aeroplane bathroom. It that's done so well, um, and obviously the whole filming of the um, of the Swedish town. Which uh, apparently is in Bulgaria. The film that in Bulgaria. Um, so it's how they kept it to under a nine million budget, that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, I was listening to a, an interview with Will Poulter, who was talking about it. And um, yeah. So uh, it's not something that we normally do, but I thought I would, uh, yeah, shout out the DP on this because I really thought that um, it was amazingly done. Yeah, and and so we'll probably say the editor at the same time. Uh, yeah, because, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, oh. they, they they work hand in hand, and they like you say they've done they've done a real good job of, uh, of both both aspects of those. Yeah, yeah, uh, I think it's very rare we watch a horror film where um, that's so noticeable, you know, because you a lot of the times you're drawn into the horror and. Often it's very concentrated in a location and you're not worrying too much about the scenery, but, uh, you know, in this, it's all very... Uh... Well, that it does bring me on to something else then that, that I did want to speak about in terms of this this reputation that, that Midsummer has the film, that it's been a horror film that takes place exclusively in, like, daylight, mm-hmm. uh, which... For the most part, isn't actually true, is it? You know, in yes, huge scenes, you know, huge chunks of the film are, are in are in broad daylight. But I still think, for the most part, the horror takes place at night, doesn't it? You know, horror the horror takes place in the, the darkness. Still, uh, you know, the opening scene that that's all at night. The uh, one of the kills, I think, uh, you know, when Josh mm-hmm. tries to steal yeah, the book, that, yeah. that's at night. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of it is, some of it is during the day when I say, I don't want to, so I'm not drawing absolutes here uh, because there is the, uh, the two couple, the old, you know, the old couple that, that throw themselves off the cliff, isn't it? That's pretty horrific. Uh, but again, <sighs> Say that this is the problem that I'm having. You know, this is Venn diagram. It's like, oh, that's that's horror, but it's for some people and not others. And you know, it's mm-hmm. kind of the themes of it. But <laughs> it's 
I'm, I'm going to stick to it. But there is, yeah, it's a bit of a, a misnomer. And, like, I kind of feel that whereas this this theme of light and the you know the seasons that work its way through it so winter and summer specifically yeah is kind of it mirrors danny's journey throughout the film doesn't it so it starts with this this real tragedy real horror of of winter and of darkness and then you know we gradually get less and less darkness as the film goes on, you know, and that's as Danny's getting sucked into this cult and be, becoming one of them that, and shedding away those, those toxic elements that, that nighttime stuff that, you know, it kind of, it's not so much that it's a horror set in the daylight that it's, more the character's internal feelings are reflected by the light and when people say that it's you know, it's a horror film that's based in daytime I kind of feel that's selling it short yeah uh, I, I get your point I guess I think I think of it a lot as a horror film mainly based in the daylight but to me that's because that it's the daylight it's the daylight that worries me in this film i when it cuts to nighttime apart from the beginning scene some of it's quite traditional in its way in it in its ways um as far as horror is concerned but in the daylight it's very uneasy i fi- i find it really really uneasy um and and sometimes really bright almost to the point of almost the point of squinting. I mean, it isn't that bad, but, you know, you almost feel like squinting because um, it feels too bright. Um, in fact, this this movie makes me feel hot as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's like what you said about the cinematography, isn't it? It's so, so vivid and saturated. Yeah. Uh, those, just, those scenes, um, right? It, it does feel you know, like you need a pair of sunglasses, doesn't it? Yeah, I can see why people think of it as that way in that way though, because it, it, it sort of depends what you get out of it. Because like as I say, I, I find I find the daytime seems to be to be so uneasy. And and a lot of that for me comes from uh how stood out our characters are when they get to this village and they and, and they're they're all in their clothes, in their sort of civilian clothes, they stand out like a sore thumb. Um so Whenever you get a shot, you can see them. You can you can always see them there, and it it that's uneasy to see as well. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there are bits of this film though, and I've written it I've written it down, and I thought about it while I was watching it. And you're gonna have to uh, see if you can help me unpack this. But there are bits of this film where. It feels just a little bit like they're taking the piss, um, and I, I don't mean that in a in a the making fun of us way. But there are bits like when they first walk into the village, and it's all it's there's something about it that's very. I think it's just not right, but it also looks stupid. Um, do you know what I mean? So 
Ari Aster has described this film saying that he wanted to make it like a Wizard of Oz for perverts. Right, okay. So I think that what the scene that you're talking about is is trying to evoke that, you know, the scene where Dorothy lands in Oz and, you know, it goes from black and white to Technicolor. Right. Uh, so, you know, it is it is over the top. It is so there is something overly there. vivid and right. Yeah. Uh but yeah, I think that's that's what it's going for. Oh right, yeah. okay. Oh well I, I well I picked up on that because I just at that very <laughs> point I was like, this is it it suddenly went kind of stupid, like, oh they're taking a piss out of me here. And it still feels like they are like making fun of us a little bit. Um but not a lot. And yeah, I mean there's there's punchlines throughout the film, isn't there, as well? And and also oh, yeah. uh, films uh, sorry, films, scenes that feel at the same time extremely distressing but also ridiculous to the point of comedy. Uh mainly the scene where Danny's crying and the the group are taking on that emotion and stuff as well, you know. That that balance is something that it's hard to to really nail down and figure out because it is mm. so so jarring. Well, so I think we should just uh we should <laughs> we should go to some of the more key scenes actually. And you just mentioned one where the um the old people jump off the cliff. Um so you know as we said this is all spoilers so you should go watch this anyway but uh that's a really weird scene um not just because they jump off the off the thing but because it's <sighs> the sound in that is so very would you say realistic it they fall off and it just sort of goes yeah no, there's it, no it's there's no very... sort of I mean, I, you didn't expect that, but it, it's shown in such a way of like, Ugh. yeah, it's a, know, it's like, a sickening thud, isn't it? Yeah, that's what it is. It's a sickening thud, and of course, the first person dives off and smashes their face in, which is gross enough anyway. And then the second guy misses his face, and then they go hammer his face in, and it's all very. Uh, um. That's hard to watch, isn't it, really? And it can't, yeah. it comes out of nowhere as well. It sort of comes out of nowhere. Um, well, you say that, but also it it's told to us, but we don't believe it. You know, because earlier, Pella's in the... Right, they, yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're in the bunker, aren't they? He's like, oh, you know, we, we live as, as seasons, zero to 18, you're, you're a child. Then you, 18 to 36, you're go out on a, a journey you see the world and then you labor for the next 18 years and then the last 18 years you're a mentor and, and she, you know, danny says what what happens at the end of that and he just draws his finger across his neck doesn't he and <laughs> we assume he's joking but but no yeah. no he's not and you know we see that full on you're right you're right um this scene as well i think gives us it dips into at least one of the characters a little bit more um Josh, I think. And we suddenly sort of um he becomes a little bit 
almost less trustworthy in this because um, he knew what was going to happen. And, um, you know, if he cared for anyone, or at least especially if he cared for Danny, he would have kept her away from that. Um, but he knew what was going on. So he suddenly becomes, I think, a little bit more... Like, uh, not that you don't trust him, but uh, more... It's not even sinister either, is it? It's just... You're a bit well, of a prick. He just, he just doesn't, doesn't care about her, does he? You know, that's... Well, that's and I think, that, I think that's of, his of friend's sort of thing, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, you know, another another part of the 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 journey for Danny, isn't it? You know, in that the film starts with her, her losing a family. And in you know, to assuage her grief, she she tries to join this other family, doesn't she? You know, the group of friends that are you know a close knit bunch. And she, you know, she tries to to maneuver her way in, but it doesn't work and she's she isolates herself because of it. And then it's not until you know, the, the Haga come in and they accept her and, and they become her family. You know, that's the, you know, the, the journey that she's on in that regard, which one of many journeys that <laughs> she's on throughout this whole thing. And yeah, it's, I think this scene, it's, it's kind of key to that uh, as part of it, because it's, uh, I think it's, partly to her to understand, you know, because they're very, they're very strong to, to tell, uh, you know, the, the, the outsiders, aren't they? Oh, this is something that we do. It's part of our customs that the people doing it, they're, you know, they feel great joy in this, that, they, you know, they've got to, to end in this ritual. And, and I think it's this kind of way of trying to, minimize the grief that she's already got in thinking like, yes, your, your parents have, have gone in a similar fashion, but yeah, we, you know, it's pretty good. These, these guys love it, you know, and it's, okay. I think it is sort of a way that to try and sneak her into this, your know, family through the back door kind of thing, you know, and uh, just get her feeling more attuned to them. Yeah, yeah. It's all very um there's so much to look into in this film. I think we 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 need to hit some more key scenes though. Um so what would you say is next? Maybe the dance or uh, was there something before that? Uh well there's the I'd say that there's, there's sort of the two uh the 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 paths that Danny and Christian go on sort of towards the, I think it's basically the third act, isn't it? Where uh, Christian's gets drugged, doesn't he? Uh, Which again, he he can't even bring himself to cheat on Danny without doing it in a passive way. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's funny that you, that you, that you, that you were saying that and I never noticed the passive thing, but even he knew he was getting, well, I know you just said this, but he knew he was going to get drugged. And for a split second, he was like, no, I aren't doing this. But then he he just did it anyway. But even previous to that, he has a meeting with the main woman 
um, who tells him that it's going to happen, and he never really puts up any. Um, he never puts up a fight, does he? At all, he's just like, I think I ate her pubes. Yeah, that, it's, that sounds about right. <laughs> it, he kind of feels like he's going along with it because it's what he wants, but it, it allows him to be guilt-free about it in his head. Which yeah, is, very true. Yeah, it's kind of the character to a tear, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I think the yeah that that's a big thing throughout the film, isn't it? Where it's uh, while Danny, uh, sorry, while Christian's doing this and he's uh, basically completely separating himself from from Danny uh, by you know by, by cheating on her with this um, member of the cult. And she's sort of going completely the other way, and she's like, "Yeah, she's separating herself by embracing, the, you know, embracing what's what's going on rather mm. than, you know, shagging someone." <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, I think they they play, you know, quite nicely in that he's going to this. You know, kind of seedy, depressing place where she's going to this new, I don't want to say happy place, but you know, this new place of acceptance and uh, joy. And she, you know, they show that bit where she starts speaking Swedish, and you know, it feels like she's on the same page as these people, and that you know, they, they've got an emotional understanding between them. And actually, I'm, I'm going to shout out to uh, a video. Uh, made by a YouTube channel called Kane Skittles, uh, which you should definitely try to find out. It's called, I think okay. it's quite the real horror of, Heredit- uh, of Midsummer, and you know he basically says that you know the real horror is that th- this group is a white supremacist cult. You know, the, the, and there's no getting around that they absolutely are. It's <laughs> it's a horrifying thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, if you want the signs for that, uh, you know, the runic symbols that they used are strong relation to, to Nazism. Uh, the banner that they drive under uh, to get into, you know, the, uh, the commune that has anti-immigrant messaging on it. Uh, if you notice uh, Christian and Mark, they are both seduced before they're killed uh, because they need to, use that you know bring outsiders in to to gain more people mm-hmm. uh where, whereas the t- the british couple who are non-white and also uh josh they're both killed straight away without being touched uh, and then you know they they harger are obsessed with the the genetic line of this oracle they have there don't they is born completely from inbreeding Mm. So you know, there's there's so much there to the, these are a fascist white supremacist cult, and the horror of what they do is that they they seduce not just the characters but the audience as well, don't we? We are we we we're buying into these. They seem like on aside from the murders, which you know the characters don't see, they seem you know nice, friendly people and. You know, they they have a way of life that, although somewhat alien in nature, does does appeal to us. You know, they're, they're close to nature. They are uh, 
they're, they're so communal. They share, you know, not just possessions, but emotions. They're, you know, they're really in tune with each other. And mm. it's a type of community that, you know, we kind of all want to be in. And that's, that's the point, isn't it? You know, how easy is it to be seduced to fascist white supremacist cults? You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, yeah that, I, I, obviously I, the, the video goes into a lot more detail. So I strongly recommend it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I've specifically written down about this is, is what it's exactly what you said. I, I've written down there are no bad guys in this film. Um, if that makes sense, there's no one. There's no one to hate in it, aside from you know maybe Christian, but that's for a different reason. You know, in terms of the murders and things like that, you never. I never found myself hating, hating anybody. There's yet, no scary monster, is there, in there? Uh, but not even, like, even, you know, I'd say, for example, this this film's probably most similar to The Wicker Man, but at least that had Christopher Lee being sort of over-the-top bit crazy. There was someone in there to sort of, you know, point your fury at, if you like. Um, yeah, and the, the film that said that this video compares Midsummer to, and I'm not going to say why, uh, because I'm, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave some things unstolen from it. Uh, but he compares it very strongly to Mandy. And right, yeah. It justifies it completely. Uh, so I'll leave it there, but <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, just because it's such a favorite of the, the podcast, I thought I'd, I'd have to mention it just to give, uh, Give more props to him. <laughs> more props to Mandy. Um. So, what else do we need to touch on? Really, sort of finale. Um. Well, yeah, I think the finale for Christians. Sexy the finale time. kind of comes on to what we were just saying about, weren't we? Right. In the it's. It kind of feels like a happy ending, doesn't it? It's got something of a happy ending to it. Yeah. I I mean, it's a very emotionally complex ending, isn't it? Yeah. uh, But the the film is is set up and and made to to look like a happy ending, which... I, I, I I just don't feel that for Danny in the end. Like, no, well, that, that's exactly the point in that she is actually in huge amounts of danger now, isn't she? You know, well, the, the film ends and almost her entire network of uh, you know support and friendship is, is gone. They are all out dead. She is in the middle of Sweden with no outside communication, no phones or anything like that. Well, yeah, she, do- she's stuck there with a cult. I do feel uh, like the cult, you know, despite all the bad things that we've said about them, I, I do think that they are that they have taken her on board, um, and I think, I think really she is safe there, but she's also there. There, she's never going to be able to escape from there. And on top of that, I think there's no way you could get away with saying that she isn't severely emotionally damaged now, like, yeah. you know like it or not, she's lost her parents and her and her sister in the most tragic way. And then, you know, 
to a degree, she's also been responsible for the death of somebody and then watched these people burn. And, you know, she's smiling at the end, but I don't think that's not a smile of a happy person. That's a, that's a smile of someone who's broke. Yeah, that that's... You're, yeah, you're, you're completely right for me as well. Yeah, that's somebody who broke. Um, yeah... It's funny, I was also listening to an interview with Florence Pugh and um, she said that's the only character where she's really felt emotionally like invested in the character and when they were flying home, they sort of flew over the area where they'd filmed and she she sort of looked down and she felt so bad for leaving Danny there. Um, which is, you know... That's not right. the kind of type of emotional baggage I would like to take on, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, I, I think I think I think you know it was a, it might have been a passing uh, passing thought anyway. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the whole thing is just very um, as a film. It's it's amazing. It's emotionally draining. It makes you think. Um, better on a second watch, actually, I'd say. Um, it certainly flows a lot better on the second watch. Um okay well I'm I'm going to to go into the thing that I've been saving now then, because this is something I don't know if you have picked up on it and if not it's going to be there for a third watch for you to keep an eye out uh because it's something that I don't think is there in the text but I think is there in the subtext and it's something that I, I'm not sure I've seen anywhere else but since like the very first time i saw this i had this feeling that pele is is this monster that we are meant to hate in the film i think he's the villain okay uh because i mean i have a feeling again again these subtext that so you know i, I can't really justify it but i think he may have he may be the killer of Danny's family, and I think it is because I think it's because of the tape at the beginning, which is maybe a strange thing. Because I just feel that it's it it suggests force to me. So when right. I when I saw that, I thought an an outside force has done this because. Okay. It's quite a difficult thing to do to yourself, especially in the way that it was done. But also, on top of that, the, you know, the seeds that are scattered throughout, uh, because he's the one that drops the hints that they're going on this trip, and he's the, the driving force. He's the one that sells it, doesn't he? Sells it to all of them uh, because you know, obviously he has to be because he's the only one that's from there. Uh, but if also when you see it in the uh, the mural at the beginning, he's not just uh, leading the group. He, he's a he's Pied Piper, isn't it? Which right. Yeah. Yeah. Suggests the danger from that. You know that that fable, uh, and also he's there as a watcher while you know in that same mural of Danny and Christian arguing, uh, but also. Uh, you know, he's the one that's sort of sowing the seeds about the relationship. You know, do you really love him? Do you feel held by him? 
You know, he's also making these like romantic plays where he's drawing Danny. Uh, and at the same time, at the end of the film, when she becomes the May Queen, he's rewarded by uh, basically taking Danny on as his wife, isn't he? Um, while uh, his friend, who, who comes with, with a group, uh, his group are found to be worthless. So he sacrificed, you know, and also he does mention at some point as well that his family also died in a fire. So it's like, you feel like he, is he the product of a previous ritual? You know, is this something that, because it's clear that they bring in outside mm-hmm. people yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, to expand the, you know, the, the commune. So it's like, is, is this, you know, a plan to bring you know, the, the, the group in and, and to bring a female in as well. And, you know, he's seen what's around and it could just be that he's taken advantage of the situation, of course, as well. But I think he's the mastermind and, and the, the monster behind all of this. Right, yeah. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. What you're saying makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I'm not sure about the the sacrifice, him being part of the ritual thinkers. I'm not quite sure how it works because they say they only do it every 96 years, but they obviously must bring outsiders in more often than that to keep the population. Um, so that might be bollocks as well, then. The 96 years thing could be complete crap. It might They might do that all the time. <laughs> I think they would do a... I think they do a summer thing every year, don't they? Because obviously, you know, everyone dies at 72, don't they? So it's... Mm-hmm. So there's obviously something that that goes on. So I don't know what specifically the 96 year thing is, but yeah, I just think there's, I think there's somewhere there. I think he's more of a character than we're, we're probably given credit to as well. Yeah, there's more, uh, and you know, more plan there than you than you think. Yeah, yeah, I think that he's he's a more sinister character than, uh, so we're often the. Well, that's often attributed to him. Well, that's such an interesting theory. Um, Third watch. Keep your eye out for it. See what you think. Oh, now you you said it. It all makes sense. Um, But, uh, yeah. Um, Lovely. Well, I think we've done it. I think I'm I'm ready. I think I've said Um, what I want to say. I think the only one small, tiny problem that I've got with this film is that Danny keeps seeing her sister um, every so often with that thing taped to her face. And it feels to me like she never would have actually seen that. Um, so <laughs> that as literally the only the only thing that made me go, well, there's no the police wouldn't have let her see that. And um I got the feeling that there were there was quite a dif- distance between them, so uh, yeah. But that's literally it. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's get on to the uh, the critics then. So uh, we have on our lovely jubbly Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it is an eighty three percent from the critics and a sixty three percent from the audience. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Not entirely unsurprised by that. I think it is quite a you know, it's not an easy film, is it? No. 
uh, by any stretch. And then, oh, I did have our uh, our letterboxed up, but I've lost it. It is a three point nine on letterboxed, so which is pretty good. Yeah, I mean the most of the reviews are four stars, like four star and five star are the most popular. You know, two scores. So you know that's that's a good sign. Mm. And yeah, and then in our uh, Facebook group, uh, we have Tammy who said that it's excellent, better upon rewatching too, which jives with what you know what we've just said. Uh, and then Alistair, who said it's a total trip, beautiful and terrible. I felt at peace and uneasy in fragments uh, of a second. Florence Pugh is an undoubted star. I mean, yeah, that's something that we agreed. Really yeah. should just mention the performances from from Florence Pugh, especially, but the whole cast are, are generally great. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Uh, uh, Laura said that she hasn't watched it and the trailer doesn't interest her, but I hope that say we, we've talked you around, although you know, spoiled so much of it. Uh, Chris, who said that it's incredibly dull and pointless, uh, nothing that's not been seen before stretched over a boring runtime. Parts of it looked lovely, though. I hope we've talked you around <laughs> for that. Uh, and then last but not least, Sam has said that it's confirmed every suspicion he has about what's going on after hours at the Cambridge Folk Festival. And yeah, yeah, I think that's probably on the money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, mostly, mostly good stuff there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I hope that we can convince Laura to watch it and Chris to enjoy it. <laughs> I could see why someone wouldn't enjoy it, though. I could easily yeah, see why someone yeah. wouldn't enjoy it. Because, you know, it kind of does drag on and it is slow. And, you know, to a degree, it, unless you get invested in it, there ain't a light not going on either. Um, but it is all... director's cut. It's like half an hour longer, too. Is it? I want to see that. I'm not sure if it's that much longer, but it is It is longer. Yeah, there's a couple of extra scenes in there. Ooh, director's cut. There's yes, a whole please. extra scene at the... Uh... With a river. Oh, give me, give me that. Do they see? Do they show Mark dying in that? Oh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. Because he just I don't sort of, think they do. Because I think he just sort of goes off screen, doesn't he? Yeah, but I think it's yeah. You won't show that because you want to show the impact of him coming back as the skinned skin boy ghost monster uh, when. Uh, when Josh gets killed. Well, I don't have so, anything else to say, so creative psychopath. Yeah. Uh yeah, not not just a creative psychopath for me. I think it's it's a top ten all timer, is this one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's it's just a magnificent piece of work. It's so so rich, so you know, so much depth to it and so much going on. Just absolute five star. Yeah. Amazing. Yes, it's a fantastic movie, yeah. Yeah. And um, you know, if you've really got to the end of this without seeing it, then go see it. Um, because it is, as Matthew said, fantastic. But you know, talking about fantastic movies, let's do three movies from this two hundred that were good. That was um, a hell of a segue. Yeah, thanks very much. Um so to a degree, or at least one of these movies I've picked just because I think it would be interesting for people to search it out. And it's a movie that you and I discovered, but I don't think you've watched yet. Um, and at number three is The Wolf House, which was no. an no. 
a, it's a Spanish animated film, um, largely stop motion, um, but it's stop motion done in a real house. Um, so it's very large stop motion and um, it's, there's, I will say there's not a lot of plot to it, but the plot that is in it is very sinister and um the the animation style is just uh it's just like well what you know i said to you was i think it like a nightmare come to life really um that isn't even what i said to you something like that anyway yeah i mean you just look you know if you search for the film on, on google images it just looks just really off-putting <laughs> it's mm. like it doesn't even look like puppets they just look messed up versions of them yeah, and I'd say I'd say mostly it's not puppets. Mostly it's this it's this very odd stop motion that that builds it builds itself and unbuilds itself, and you know because they've done it in such a sort of large scale that they've had to sort of take bits apart to move characters around, but they don't take that out. It's all as part of the stop motion, and it's just really uneasy viewing, um, and it's. It was it it was great. It, it just just dragged me in, and I actually, it's just a high it's just a high tension film. But on top of that, um, from a filmmaking point of view, it's just spot on. Um, uh, probably I would say, like I already said, it's probably not one of the best films, but um, it gets it out there, doesn't it? Well, I mean, it's something that we've we've mentioned, haven't we? In that there is a there is a severe lack of animated horror films. We need and more. We certainly need. We, we more. do need more um, of them. Uh, I I keep banging on about Mad God, as uh, everybody knows. Oh uh, yeah, I keep meaning to watch that. Well, I'd say let's. Uh, I'll do you a deal. I'll watch the Wolf House. Uh, you watch Mad God, and we'll meet. We'll meet back here again another day. Yeah, because uh, it's uh, available on movie, isn't it? The Wolf House. So it's it is. Get yourself uh, which, a free trial. Yeah, they're, they're always giving free trials or, or just extremely great offers, like four months for four pounds, uh, which I'm currently in at the minute. Uh, so yeah, well, yeah, get on, get on movie. It's it in terms of you know film quality, it is by far the best streaming service. Uh, the only problem is is that you haven't heard of most of the films, have you? <laughs> No, no, but, but trust them. They know they know what they're doing there. You will watch mostly great stuff on that. Yeah, I have the BFI. The Mad Gods on Shudder, which is also great. <laughs> I think I have the BFI player on um Prime, and that's pretty good too, as in terms of that. But again, a lot of movies you've never heard of. Um but what's next? Um well this movie I've already brought up. Um, is uh, Black Swan in at number two because I, I, it was amazing to me. Was Black Swan? I, 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 it took me by it took me by so much surprise. Like I knew it was a good film because I'd heard it was, but I was like, it's about ballet. I'm I'm not gonna like this film. Like I've got. It turns out I do like ballet because there's another film called Red Shoes, which. Um, was also amazing, and that was about ballet too. So maybe I'm a ballet guy. Um, well, you have to take yourself to the ballet. Yeah, 
But Black Swan's um it's it's got these horror movie elements, but it's also got these, you know, sort of more modern what I would say making mental health the horror. Um and it just uh it's so hard to it's a very, very compelling viewing. The ballet is beautiful. Um Natalie Portman is fantastic in it. And uh, is that one Starin Aronofsky, isn't it? It is, yeah. I think the, the uh I think Natalie Portman did win the Oscar for it, didn't she? She did win an Oscar for that, yeah. Yeah, and she is absolutely brilliant in it. And you find yourself rooting for her, and you also find yourself kind of not rooting for her. Um it just it just works as a movie. It's just, it it's got intense moments. It's got um, heartfelt moments, but the, there's a lot of horror in there. There's a lot of horror elements in it that uh, that just work. It's just a beautiful film to watch. I, I just go out, just watch it. If you haven't seen it, you should because um, it just. There's very few films because I've got a very short attention span. There are very few films that I uh, can just watch all the way through without stopping and going for a wee or a cup of tea or a stretch. Um, but that was one of them that I just didn't move. So is it better or worse than Billy Elliot? I've never seen Billy Elliot. Oh, now you're on your ballet kick. I think that's the next one on the list. No, I don't want to see Billy Elliot. I know what happens in that. <laughs> I know That's what happens. Billy Elliot. I imagine it is. He's a he's a kid who likes ballet, but his dad says it, he don't like it, and then in the end, his dad goes, "Oh yeah, you can dance." It's that's what it is, basically. That's Billy Elliot. Enjoy it. I don't need to see. I don't need to see all this heart- heartfelt bullshit. I want people dead. Sorry, uh, I've gone off. Now, so the last one, number one, is a film that I posted about in the Facebook group and I keep whiffling on about on this podcast, uh, but it is Lady in a Cage. Um, So essentially, I've said it a few times, but never really told you what it's about. Um, It's a 1964 film starring Olivia de Havilland, and she plays a very um, upper upper crust woman. Yeah, you know what I mean. And... uh, she ha- has broken a hip, so therefore she has a like a a very small elevator that goes from the top of the stairs to the bottom, and it's something like a cage. And while she's traveling down it, the there's a power cut, and um, then her house gets invaded basically, and it just it just ramps up. It's one of these movies that that just keeps ramping up the whole time, and uh, not only that. One of the things I really enjoyed about it was, and again, I think I've said that on here, is that you can see the future of horror movies in it. Like, you're watching it and you go, oh, that's that movie and that's that movie. And you go, you start start to think, there's a lot of movies that owe this one, you know, a lot of credit, you know. And it might be that they are original ideas, but there's just, there's just some things um, like, uh, the others is in there, and the purge is in there, and um, all all kinds of stuff, really. A uh, bit of Psycho, you know. Although Psycho was probably before that, I can't remember what year Psycho was. But it was uh, Psycho. 
ground then? Was it 62, 63-ish? Yeah. So it's all part of that. And I've, I've been getting a bit of a kick out of these sort of 60s horror films because that's sort of, I think, when you know, they were starting to push it a bit more in terms of um, what they were willing to show on screen. And you, you can see you can see how horror has changed uh, over yeah, the years. And psycho, whereas... they showed a flushing toilet, didn't they? Oh, yeah, for the first time. So um, as far as I'm concerned, Lady in a Cage, it's not an easy one to find. You'll probably have to surf the internet you might find a copy on youtube or daily motion or something like that and i wouldn't normally recommend that you do that i managed to get a blu-ray now um but that weren't easy either <laughs> so yeah that's my that's my most recommended film it's there's just there's just so much to it and um you know it starts it starts in a way that's it's start the way it starts is not how you'd expect um and the way it ends is just so grimy it's it's fantastic really really great oh i have to uh, I have to make sure i get on that one as well so yeah i've got a few uh, few there to go off yeah you're doing yeah. a great service well i would like to, i would really like us to do lady in a cage at some point cuz they're really um there are very few films that that make me go, wow, that was amazing. Um and that was one that was one of the way I think you can tell the way I was talking about it then. Yeah. Even, I, even I was like, Oh, I'm passionate about this film. Um but yeah, but the thing about this two hundred movies I've never seen before is it has introduced me to so much stuff that I've just um, you know, left to one side. You know, and movies I never would have thought of watching. You know, there's a lot more foreign cinema there in my thing that you know I'll probably talk about in the Patreon. But I watched some Fellini and Bergman, and um, you know, I've just sat down and watched comedies that I've never seen. And the 200th movie was uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I'd never seen before, uh, yeah, obviously, because that that's that's part of the thing. Um, man, Susan Sarandon was hot. Was uh, all right. She still is, but she was even hotter. <laughs> so hot, was Tim Curry. Hotter, yeah. That was that was really great. I really enjoyed that. Um, it's really really random. You no, know um, I don't think I've ever actually seen that film indoors. I really, I've always seen it outdoors. Always outside, yeah. Always outside. So yeah, that was the two hundredth movie. But um. I'm giving myself a little break now. I'm going to try and watch some uh, TV series because I've been wanting to catch up on. Well, there's a new Black Mirror. That's been good so far. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, talking into Barry. Um, and I fancy giving Yellow Jackets a go. Yeah, I think I've got uh, I've got Barry, and then next week the new series of The Bear comes out as well. So I'm looking forward to. Uh, What's Barry? Barry, it is. Barry. Uh, one of well, I'm like Prime. To believe it's one I of think the best I've... TV shows of all time. Uh, so far, I've only seen the first series, which is which is brilliant, uh, and it is about Bill Hader, who is a hitman who falls in love with a uh, Los Angeles uh, acting class, and 
yeah, tries his hand at becoming an actor, but obviously the hitman life is not, it's always, uh, always there right behind him. Oh, that sounds really great. Uh, yeah, go. it's just just wrapped up its uh, its fourth and final season, not uh, like a couple of weeks ago. But now that it's it's all done, I'm uh, going to work my way through see- seasons two through four. I'm just looking at it now, and it's it's got that lovely not long seasons thing. Oh yeah, it's. I think there's only like maybe like twenty four episodes total. Excellent. Well, there oh, you yeah, go, it's... everyone. A little bit of bonus, a little bit of bonus content, TV series recommendations from us. Um, I mean, I, uh, people want to see Black Mirror, I imagine. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, uh, ooh, technology's the the bane of our life, or something. Except for this podcast, of course. This yeah, time. I mean, it's still all its ideas from uh, Eerie Indiana, isn't it? Technology's yeah. it's yeah, it's but... there. It, it looks good, but it's not good if used bad. If it it, it, it not We've good if it. bad. We saw it, it in Eerie Indiana. It no good if bad. Yeah, true. Um, right, let's get out of here then. Oh no, yeah. Do, do all the things. Yeah, join us on the uh, the Facebook group. Give us a five star review. We love to hear how much you uh, you love us. We crave that validation. Uh, yeah, get on the Instagram, Twitter. We're we're all on all of them to varying degrees of activity. Uh, and yeah, and if you do like what you you're hearing, you you want to throw us some cash, then. Yeah, Patreon's available, and yeah, we'll we'll tell you why Eerie Indiana's better than Black Mirror on there. Mm, yeah, very much so. Lovely. Right, well, let's go home then. Home? All right. Oh, whatever. All right. See you in a <laughs> Bye. Bit. Bye.